Hi there, listeners. It's the host and producer, Vicki J. Carter, here of this podcast, The Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And before we jump into the episode, I wanted to stop real quickly and share with you the newest project that I'm working on. If you are an author, I think you might be interested in it. I have a YouTube channel that I just launched called The Author's Librarian on YouTube. And on that YouTube channel, I am going to share with you free accessible resources that you can use to help you with researching. I'm going to give you tips. I'm also interviewing librarians and I'm writing a book to help authors with researching. So I hope you find me there on that YouTube channel. You can find the link in the show notes. Now let's get to the program. Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to Rob Phillips. So Rob, say hello to the listeners. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Vicki. I appreciate it. I am so thrilled to have you because my listeners didn't know this um, because I didn't hit record right away. But we were talking about your books and how much I fell in love with them, which is interesting because the genre isn't one I would normally pick. (laughs) Um, But I'm super excited to have you here to talk about it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I've uh, had several people say they're not big mystery readers, but they got a hold of my book and they just really liked it. So um, it's been kind of humbling, honestly. Well, I'm sure it is. Um, So we're going to talk about some timeline for you because you are producing very quickly. So um, I'm rather impressed. But let's start out, Rob, by giving some context of where you live. So what state in the Northwest are you um, living in? I'm I'm in Yakima, Washington. I lived here most of my life. And uh, my background is basically in marketing and advertising. I graduated from WSU in the late 70s and went to work in the advertising world. I've had my own advertising business for 35 years, worked with a lot of really good clients. Um, We just recently sold the business and that's kind of freed me up to do a little more writing. So that's kind of nice. I'm working about 20 hours a week at at my real job, but uh, that gives me more time to do some writing. And um, a little more background, I've uh, been writing professionally since 1986. But it's all been in the form of uh, magazine articles, Mm -hmm. newspaper columns. I've probably written over 1,200 different columns and articles over those years and sold a lot of them and just have never tried uh, to write a book. I've always thought I might do it someday and finally did it. Well, I'll tell you, it shows. So my listeners know now, as I'm going into 2021, I'm taking a slow down approach to the podcast and I'm reading books from the authors before they come on. And so I have read both your books, actually. Um, one isn't, well, will probably be out by the, the second will be out by the time the podcast comes out. Um, the first one, 
um, I've already gotten a hold of and read. Thank you to your publisher. <laughs> um, but it really shows you have a background in writing. And there's so many things about your background in advertising that is something that a lot of us authors don't have. And that's copywriting, um, even just public, you know, how to get yourself out there or get a client out there for authors. We all have to do that ourselves and learn it. <laughs> so you're that's lucky. Honestly, it's honestly been a benefit to me. Um, uh, you know, again, once I had my book written and and uh, John Gosh at Laytop Press, our books, took it and, and published it. He, he helped me a lot with editing it and uh, getting it out there. Uh, but then I thought, man, I, I need to market this if it's going to be successful. And uh, so I've been working hard at that at the first one while still writing the second one and trying to get it ready to print. Uh, so it's been a, a busy time. But I mean, I did some things just as simple as developing a point of purchase display for my book that could go into the bookstores. Um, and that's helped sell a lot of books at the bookstore level. Um, I thought a little bit outside of the box. As you know, as you read the two books, I my my uh, it's centered here in central Washington. My character goes in and out of a lot of different stores and towns, and some of them are are um, uh, hardware stores. And so I know the owner of the hardware group of Art Ace Hardware Stores here in town. And I just said, "Hey, would you want to try to sell my, my book?" And he read it and liked it. And he said, "Yeah, let's give it a try." I love it. Put my book display in there, and we've sold over 500 books just in the hardware stores. Which... See, that's so awesome because what that is is you know your readers, you know what kind of people are going to probably like it. That's so great. Yeah, and it's just been it's been surprising in a way, but not surprising in another way. I mean, it's just another way of getting in front of potential readers who don't know who I am or don't know anything about it, but because the book is about Central Washington. Uh, or centered in central Washington, um, uh, they they picked it up and and to a person almost they've liked it and asking for the second book, which like you said, as you're listening to this is out now uh, and uh, hopefully it's doing as well as the first one did. Now, Rob, you wrote the first and the second book really close together, and that's not typical for most authors <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, speaking from a person that's trying to write my first book, <laughs> I, I'm I'm interested. How did did you already have the storyline in your head for both books, or did it just organically happen as you were writing? Yeah, it just kind of happened. Um, you know, when the COVID hit in April, March and April, I'm a big outdoors person. I love to hunt fish and just be outdoors. Um, and when the governor shut down all outdoor activity, fishing and hunting, um, I was kind of lost. I didn't know what I was going to do. Sitting in front of the television, eating potato chips. and <laughs> yeah, thinking, Like oh, we all did. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to work. Yep. So I said, you know what? I've always thought about writing a book. I'm just going to go do it. So I just locked myself in an upstairs bedroom. And uh, I had thought a little bit about what kind of a book I would like to write uh, if I were to ever write one and who my main character might be. Uh, and because I know the outdoors, love the outdoors, have written about the outdoors for many, many years, I wanted to make my character related to that. So I made him a, a, a fish and wildlife officer. Um, and he's uh, uh, he's a lot younger than me. He's taller than me. He's stronger than me. He's better looking than me. <laughs> and he has but, a really uh, great sidekick. Do you have one yeah, too? <laughs> that's right. 
so uh, anyway, uh, so I just thought, okay, now let's put him in a situation where he can use his skills. And that's where the kind of the creative writing over took over. And, and uh, it just, you know, I've been listening to a few other podcasts, yours and a few others and, and uh, reading some stories and uh, articles. And some of the authors uh, will lay out their whole book in a, in a format, in a, you know, in a, um, and have it kind of figured out who, who the bad guy is, how that's going to end, all of that kind of stuff. I had none of that. I just started writing and it just kind of flowed out. And, and uh, you know, I took several little side, side you know, uh, plots to, the, to, the, to kind of fill the book out and make my character kind of believable and lovable. And, uh, and it just kind of went. And I, I honestly, I wrote the first draft in 24 days. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And it just, you know, it just, I sat down some days I'd write for eight hours. Some days I'd write for four hours. Some days I'd write for two hours, depending on how mm -hmm. I felt and what I was doing. And I've got two grown sons that are again, smarter than me and do a lot of reading. And I would send them a chapter or two every day and they'd read it and go, you know what, dad, this is not too bad. You mm -hmm. know, keep going. And they, they'd encourage me. Sometimes they'd give me an idea or two or so, get me back on track. Sometimes I would write my character as, as if it was my age versus 37, which my character is. And they'd have to say, listen, dad, that's, you know, that's back in your day. That's not in our day. That's awesome. Yeah, so that worked out well. And then, uh, and then, uh, yeah, I had a kind of a finished deal. And I, I said, you really need to try to figure out how to get this published. And um, you, and you know more about this than I do. I had no clue where even where to begin. Uh, I called the local printer that we do business with in our ad business. And I said, can you print a book? He said, yeah, I can print a book. <laughs> but do I you want to? Might, <laughs> might have one for you. And, uh, and then uh, I called a friend who was a writer at the Yakima Herald, who I write for, and uh, asked him. He, he published a book after retirement. And I asked him how he did it. And he says, well, I self-published. Mm -hmm. And I worked through Amazon. He said, you know, it's a, it's one way to go. He says, but I know a, a publisher in Spokane that might be interested in your book. So I just looked him up online and found the editor's email address and shot him a few chapters and, and a note. And he liked what he was reading and said, give me, give me the rest of the book when you're done with it. And uh, I shot him the rest of the book in about two weeks and he couldn't believe it. And, <laughs> But he helped me a lot. He edited, did mm -hmm. a lot of editing uh, for me and kind of straightened it out and uh, really made it a better book, yeah. uh, the first book. Um, yeah. And once that was kind of out of my hands, I was still, I was in the mood of writing and really was kind of enjoying it. I liked my character. Uh, the publisher said this could make a really nice series. Mm -hmm. um, so I said, let's, let's try a second one. And I jumped right in and and it took me a little longer. It was more like 60 days to write that one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't do as near as much editing or changing. He said, you've kind of got it figured out. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. So, but um, it's, it's been a really fun, fun process, a uh, real learning process. And it's been, like I said, it's been very humbling. Um, just to see how many people have liked it. I get, I've gotten really good reviews on Amazon. I get lots of emails from people that have read it. 
and say how much they liked it and can't wait for the next book. And so anyway, and that's encouraged me and I'm writing the third book right now. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I was going to ask, that was another question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm working on it right now. So uh, it's just in the first early stages. I'm only about three or four chapters in, but I finally got my storyline figured out and now I'm starting to move on it. So it might only be another 60 days before that book's done. <laughs> yeah, Japan's efficient season opens up. I, I might, it might take a little longer. <laughs> well, that's good because um, the authors, the my listeners might not know this, but I've actually been able to write a review or an intro into both of these books because we were talking about the publisher, John Gosh, who actually has been on our show a couple of times. And several of his authors from your same publishing house have also been on the show in the last two years. So John emailed me and said, oh, I have this really great book and this author I'd like you to bring on the podcast, but we want you also to read it in advance and maybe put an endorsement. And I'm like, okay, cool. And what's funny is that I don't read, I love mystery. So we want to make sure we define this is mystery, but it's wilderness mystery, right? Is that how you define? Yeah, I, I'd say outdoor wilderness. Yeah. yeah, definitely. That's the best of it. Yeah. With hunting and fishing and all that. Now I grew up doing all that with my dad and brothers, but it's not something that I would, you know, normally read. Um, but I fell in love with the book so much. I recognized a lot of the area. My dad and mom lived on, um, moved over to the Eastern side of the mountains and they all hunted in that whole area um, after he retired. So he knows the area very well. Matter of fact, if we would go to Spokane, it wasn't even near where he lived. If we ended up in Spokane, he would always say, why are you not coming to visit me? You're in my neck of the woods. And it's like, you're still four hours away from Spokane. Dad. <laughs> it's not really your neck of the woods. <laughs> you know, so so um, I've been thrilled. So let's talk, tell us the titles of the books. And then let's dive in a little bit into the characters um, because they're, they're endearing. Uh, I love them. <laughs> okay, well, the, the first book is titled The Cascade Killer. And to give you just a little bit of idea what it's about, uh, a, a bear hunter finds a, a human body part inside of a bear, and they try to determine where this bear may have come across a person. So my character is a, uh, a Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife uh, enforcement officer, or other people call him a game warden. Um, he's uh, uh, got oh, 14 years on the on the on the uh, in service and he but he travels with a yellow lab named jack and uh, that's where the fiction comes in because i don't, don't think any of the game wardens in washington state actually are are traveling with a dog but uh, um i write most of my call a lot of my columns revolve around dogs people love dogs whether they're hunters or not they've either got they've got dogs or they've lived with dogs or grew up with dogs they just love dog stories Mm -hmm. so I thought I knew I had to bring a dog into the book as part one of the characters. And so uh, my my main character's name is Luke McCain. And some of your older listeners might recognize that as um, the main character's name in The Rifleman. There was an old series starring Chuck Connors, and it was a Western. And uh, when I was trying to figure out a name for my character, I thought Luke would be a good first name. And then I was struggling to find a spec last name. And then I thought, what about McCain? And we can kind of play up on that, you know, whole rifleman deal. So um, that's worked out kind of kind of well as well. But um, anyway, he then kind of gets thrust into the, the uh, 
trying to find uh, number one, this woman's body that uh, from the bear, and then he gets figures out uh, that there may be a serial killer involved, dumping bodies on the eastern side of the Cascade Mountains. He gets, um, uh, I wouldn't say hooked up, but I said introduced to, and then kind of works in partnership with a uh, an attractive FBI agent named Sarah Sinclair, and uh, they work together very well, and. Uh, um, they go about trying to figure out who the killer is. And uh, as bodies, more and more bodies are found on the, in the cascades of these women. And uh, along the way, he has little side jaunts, you know, just doing his regular job. He catches some bear poachers and he helps find somebody that escaped from jail. And he does a few other things like that, um, just in his regular daily job. And, uh, and it's, Pretty believable, I think. One of my reviewers, and thank you, Vicki, for being <laughs> a reviewer. I appreciate that very much. Very kind words. Um, was Rich Phillips, no relation to me, but he's a former uh, game warden in Washington State. He reviews for the International Game Warden magazine, and he said it was one of the, the most true-to-form or realistic books he's read in a long time about game wardens, and that made me feel good. Um, gave me a very nice review. So, and what uh, I really enjoyed about it, if you don't mind me interrupting, is no. that um, you really put a light on a game warden in a super positive, um, helpful viewpoint. You know, because you know we live in the Northwest, and there's always these tuffles about you know hunting and fishing and conservation, and you know there's two you know schools of thought on all that, all of that. And you don't, you don't, um, you don't show a negative side of it. Luke is so believable and he really loves what he's doing and his mission of what he's doing is so important to our environment. And it's almost like an educational piece for people that don't understand what their roles are. And I think that's so important because even I have times where I'm like, I wonder if hunting's really something we should still be doing. And then reading your book, I'm like, there, you bring in that aspect of, yeah, there's value to it. And there's reasons why, but you're not preaching it. <laughs> it's so yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I think it allows people to kind of appreciate uh, the job of, of, you know, the game wardens today and what they're up against. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Especially book two, I'll say. <laughs> when yeah. we got into book two, definitely brought that into play. <laughs> yeah. And so um, one of, one of the guys that kind of, um, advised me as I was writing the first book as a former game warden as a good friend from here. And I just run some things by him and he, he'd kind of keep me on the, you know, right where I needed to be. And, and he'd help me with the details of what was on a game warden's belt and what was in their truck and just to kind of make it, you know, realistic as can be. Um, and uh, I really appreciated his, his insight and help too. And one of the things I wrote about um, was how, you know, game wardens, they probably, they're maybe kind of looked down upon by some of the other police agencies in the state, but they've come up against more people that are harmed and potentially dangerous than any of the other uh, police officers in the state. Um, and because their the hunters are get armed, a lot of times mm -hmm. anglers are armed. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're, it's a dangerous deal and they've got to be paying attention all the time. And uh, yeah. Luckily, uh, Luke has um, 
uh, Jack with him, and Jack has kind of kind of helped save the day a couple of times. So uh, now, Jack, I, you you really did well with having Jack in there. You're 100 right about the dog aspect because the minute I met Jack, I was like, okay, now I really love this. I'm a dog lover. I have two. My listeners know that occasionally they appear on the podcast by accident, <laughs> but it and I loved that um, Luke's. Um, reaction with Jack is is really um, perfect for a dog owner. I mean, he's, he, he says funniest things to him. So listeners, you'll love it. If you're a dog lover, you'll love their relationship. Yeah. Well, I take a lot of that from my just my personal life because I've I've been had dogs in my whole life and um, every one of them has had a unique personality. And so I've kind of melded it all together in Jack. And uh, one thing lab lovers will know, know for sure is that they are they love to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jack is always in, interested in finding something to eat and whatever's yeah. going on. So yeah, I have a. I don't talk about my dogs too much, but I do have a mixed breed. I, I have two rescues, and um, one we don't know what she is. I know she's a beagle, and she might be a pug, but um, she's always on me about food. And when it's <laughs> six o'clock in the mornings, when she wants to eat, so she's trained me. Yeah. She will nudge me into the bed, into the kitchen, <laughs> and five o'clock's her dinner time. So. Um, you know, if I'm doing something else, which I typically am, she'll sit there and just whine and cry until I feed her. <laughs> They're spoiled. My dogs are very spoiled. <laughs> That's your watch by, by yeah. The, yeah. The internal clocks are right in. Totally, totally can set a clock to it. So, all right. So we've talked about the writing process. You've touched on your publishing. Um, you've actually had a very great run. Unlike many of my authors that have come on the podcast or even myself, I'm working on books that I don't even know where I'm going to publish or how I'm going to publish. So you have landed very well. So congratulations. Um, and and I think a lot of that is inspiring to me because you have used so much of your background as, you know, writing articles and and what you love. And that's what you're writing on now is so exciting. Um, you talked a little bit about research. I'm, I'm currently in a total research um, state of mind these days um, and how you you utilized individuals experts to get some research were there other ways that you had to do some research you want to talk about that yeah um I'll be honest with you I'm lazy when it comes to that <laughs> most people are <laughs> yeah I just I mean that just doesn't interest me and so a lot of times I just spew out you know some facts and figures like it you know there's Hundred thousand acres in the and on the national forest where my my guy patrols. Well, you know you need to kind of double check your facts before you start <laughs> doing them. And I talk about the missing and and murdered Indigenous women, Native mm-hmm. American women. I had to go back and make sure I was right on that number in case somebody checked me. Um, and I had my gazetteer, you, it's in pieces. I looked at my gazetteer so much, just double checking for service roads and different mountains to make sure that, and that's been kind of fun because then now when the, after somebody reads it, they'll come up to me and they go, Oh man, when he was going up, you know, spring Creek road and blah, blah, blah. I've been up that trail. That's exactly right. You know, and, and it's funny how people will check that stuff and, and, uh, but they can picture picture exactly where you're talking about and I think that's what's one thing that's made the book mm-hmm. um, I guess enjoyable and likable to to so many people is they can picture right what you're talking about the road the trail mm-hmm. the lake mm-hmm. 
uh, even the restaurants and some of those things. Um, so, um, so yeah, but uh, the other thing is, I don't know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, if I was writing this book, I would have more problems because if you need to find something, you just Google it, you know? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had no clue when I was starting to write this book. I, I was an absolute dummy. I, I didn't ask any questions. I didn't talk to anybody. I just started writing and about, I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I thought, oh my gosh, I got to be getting close to the end here. <laughs> you know, just as far as how big a book is. So I just Googled how many words in a book. And yeah. they said, well, you know, a mystery novel has probably minimum 50,000, probably more like 60 or 70,000 words. And the funny thing is, then it said, if you're asking, you've probably only written about 25,000 words. <laughs> I looked down at the bottom of the screen and sure enough, I was at 25,000 words. Oh, that's so funny. You're yeah. in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So I go, okay, I'm going to have to write some more and come up with some more storylines. Oh, I love it. Well, so, you know what? That's such an awesome example, though. And, you know, everybody is lazy with research. The fact is, though, that I love and, and I will pick on Google and Wikipedia all the time because my background's a librarian. So we are the original search engines. Um, we were trained before Google came along. So, and I, as I talked to you about a little bit, I'm starting a whole YouTube channel on this whole topic and a companion guide for authors on how to research. But most of us, even myself, I'm pretty lazy um, when it comes to my first original researching. But what you did correctly was go back and check because I can't count how many times authors have told me, oh, I just didn't check my facts or I didn't check one particular fact in my book. And guess what? A reader called them out on that one thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was that I've been called out before in my newspaper columns and stuff. Yeah. So you you have that experience. Yeah, I do. Yeah. It hurts. And 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 it stinks, but you know what? It can be easily remedied. Uh, I tell authors all the time and my students, because I work on as a faculty member for a university, you know, put a placeholder, but make sure you remember to go back and check it. Yeah. <laughs> you'll wish you did later. Yeah, the current book I'm writing, uh, there's one I got to double check. It's a motel in, in Ellensburg off of a, uh, the highway on an exit. And I don't, I just made all that up. <laughs> so I just highlighted it in, in yellow to know, tell myself, Okay, sooner or later, you got to go back and double check. Yeah, double check. Yeah. And that's where like Google Maps is useful for researching. And even something I talk, I'm going to talk about on my YouTube channel eventually this year, something that I discovered that is really valuable for researching. So I'm giving away one of my tips is YouTube. YouTube actually has a tremendous amount of people that will go out and video like motels or hotels when they go visit them or when we could travel. There are a lot of travel channel or travel tube people and they would video, put massive videos up and you could actually go and research a whole lot about a particular area based on what might be on YouTube. So that's another good one. But Google Maps is very good for that, too. <laughs> Thank you. That's a good thought. I had yeah, no yeah. a lot of people don't think about YouTube for researching. It's one of my favorite places to, yeah. and it's starting to get better. Um, a lot more stuff is being put up there. That's helpful. So, well, why don't we jump into my favorite part of the podcast is when the authors read a section of their book. So um, Rob, first set the stage for us just a little bit. Let us know whatever context you need to put around Luke, before you share with us the story or the part you're going to read, and I'm going to go quiet while you do that. All right. Well, 
one thing we didn't answer oh. <laughs> first is the second book title. Oh, we did, and I'm sorry. Yeah, Go ahead. <laughs> that's okay. It's uh, it's called Cascade Vengeance, and uh, it's the, basically the storyline is um, people may or may not know that there are a lot of illegal pot fields up in the Cascades, and uh, you know they just it's kind of unseen. And since marijuana has become legalized in Washington State. You know, I think people think, well, that those pot fields have gone away. But the case is, no, it's they're still around. And uh, a lot of times they bring in um, illegal uh, people to work in the in the pot fields, for, to farm, to do other things. And uh, um, this book is revolves around somebody who is killing the workers in these illegal pot fields. And uh, Luke and Jack are called in to try to find a, a lost hunter. They end up in a legal pot field. They discover a couple of dead pot field workers and that leads, one thing leads to another and pretty soon he's in, thrown in the investigation of trying to figure out why, who and why uh, these pot fielders, uh, workers are being killed and who's killing them and, and uh, kind of follows that investigation along. So. Um, that's the Cascade Vengeance is that's kind of the gist of the second book, Cascade Vengeance. And it, yeah, um, it's out now. And, uh, uh, so. I, and I love that theme. And I think it's very important that you highlighted that fact that there is still so much illegal activity that's happening in our forests. And you really highlighted the damage that they do. It's not a pretty thing for the forests at all. Um, or the environment around it. It's all toxic, basically. Yeah. So and again, that's one thing I did Google. I looked up several newspaper articles on the illegal pot fields and mm -hmm. what's happening. And, you know, they they in, use intense uh, fertilizers that get washed into the watersheds. And, um, you know, they just make them, they leave all their things up there, all their tools and all their supplies and stuff and just make messes. And, um just leave it. And uh, uh, so not only is it the, the issue with the illegal marijuana, but it's everything that comes along with it. And yeah. um, so maybe that maybe calls out, calls it out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 So. And then the one other thing I'm going to tell you um, while I, why we're still here before you start reading, I have, uh, I'm starting to really love wilderness adventures and mysteries but I have a total fear from the time I was a child of going hiking. And I might have, you might've heard this on my podcast, going hiking in the here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest and discovering a dead body. Me being the one to discover it. It's like my number one fear. I still hike, but my husband and I don't do extensive hikes and we don't do overnight hiking. Um, so every time there's a, a body that gets discovered in the forest, I'm like, oh man, he's playing on my fear. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, so. I, yeah, I always figured that sooner or later in the, all my travels, I'll stumble across a dead body, too. I don't have a fear, but it won't surprise me if it happens. I hope it doesn't happen. But. Yeah, yeah. I think I fear it just because I'm like, what do you do? Oh, horrible. And then the author mode would go on me. I need to know how this happened. Why yeah. did it happen? Who did it? Let's figure this out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I love it. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and go quiet. Tell us which book you're going to read from and set the stage for us, Rob. Okay. Um, I'm going to read from The Cascade Killer, and I'm going to read the prologue in uh, the first chapter so you kind of get a gist of um, how uh, my character, Luke McCain, gets uh, thrown into the investigation and, and how it gets started. So 
prologue. There's a bear, Tanner Jameson hissed from behind his binoculars. Washington's spring bear season had just opened, and Tanner, along with his father, Eric, were watching a clear cut where they had seen bears on two preseason scouting trips. They had been looking at the edges of the clear cut when Tanner spotted a black object he thought was a burned stump until it moved. After a few minutes of watching the bear, the two put together a plan they hoped would get him within 250 yards of the Bruin, and they were off. The stock worked out to perfection. It took them a little longer than they estimated as the hillside dropped straight down into a small creek almost overgrown with alders and brush, making the walking about impossible. But they made it through, and after a climb to their predetermined shooting spot, they crept up to the break of the hill and again started searching the clear cut with their binoculars. There it is, Eric said after about 30 seconds. He's coming out from behind that little fir tree, just up from where we saw him before. Tanner went prone using his backpack as a rest. With one shot from his Ruger 7mm, the bear dropped and didn't move. Great shot, son, Eric said excitedly, patting his son on the back. The elation would only last just a minute or two as after they dressed the animal. After Tanner accidentally nicked the bear's stomach with his knife, they stared in disbelief at the contents that came oozing out. What the heck? The elder Jameson said as he stared at the bloody mix of meat and grass coming out of the dead bear's stomach. Floating in the gook appeared to be a human ear. His son gagged a few times and said, that can't be an ear, can it? As the stomach's contents kept draining out, there were pieces of blue mixed in with the blood red bile and goo. I think it is, said Eric. And that blue stuff looks like shards of clothing. Do you think the bear, bear killed someone and ate them, Tanner asked? I don't know, but we need to call 911 right away. Chapter 1. Interstate 5 heading south out of Olympia was one big traffic jam just about any time. It was no different this day. In fact, if anything, it might have been worse. Luke McCain looked ahead at this long stream of cars, all with their brake lights shining red and felt like screaming. After spending two days in Olympia, he wanted to get out of this rat race and be home time to see his dog and get some good sound sleep in his own bed. Unfortunately, the way the bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic was moving on the sixth lane, it might be morning before he made it back to Yakima. As a veteran police officer with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, McCain had been in Olympia for meetings with other fish and wildlife officers from around the state. The meetings were held quarterly so officers from each of the six regional headquarters could train and discuss any trends in the world of fish and wildlife protection. He was thinking about the meetings and how he was looking forward to getting back to the east side of the state when he glanced down at the speedometer. Was he really going 22 miles an hour in a 70? Come on, he yelled as he pounded the palm of his hand on the steering wheel. Traffic finally started picking up faster than funeral procession speed around Grand Mound. And by the time he hit Centralia, he along with about 900 other cars, they were going close to the speed limit. With another two hours or more on the road before he got home, McCain decided to stop in Chehalis to grab a burger and get rid of some liquid he'd consumed during the meetings that morning. At six foot five and 227 pounds in top shape from a regular workout routine that included both cardio and weightlifting, McCain made a pretty daunting first impression. He had worked hard to make himself someone that only the very stupid or very drunk would want to mess with. People in police work didn't put their lives on the line every day 
But what the general public didn't realize was that the Fish and Wildlife Police officers, or game wardens, as many people still call them, were maybe at the highest risk of them all. Studies showed that nearly 80% of the people they contacted every day, including many anglers and virtually all hunters, were armed. That and the desire to be able to hike some of the mountains he hunted each fall kept him motivated to stay fit. McCain pulled into the Wendy's in Chehalis and ordered a double with cheese, pulled the onions and pickles with fries and a Fronsky. He was calculating how many miles he was going to have to run to work off those calories when the phone rang. The screen read, Yakima County Sheriff. McCain, he said into the phone, is this the rifleman? The scratchy voice asked. I wish you'd stop calling me that, McCain said. At 37, McCain was too young to have ever watched the 1950s TV series that starred Chuck Connors as a lawman in the Old West. Instead of a sidearm, Connors used a special lever-action Winchester to handle all his shooting business, and business was good on the weekly TV series. There was always a bad guy or two who needed gunning down. Connors' character name, character's name was Lucas McCain, and the TV show was called The Rifleman. Somewhere along the line, one of the older deputies in the sheriff's department had noticed that the WDFW enforcement officer shared his name with the TV character, and the nickname landed, whether the real-life McCain liked it or not. Yeah, yeah, the deputy on the other end of the line said. This is William. We got a strange one developing up here on Schnook Pass, and we're definitely going to need some assistance from you and that spoiled dog of yours. Oh, yeah, what you got? Some hunters shot a black bear this morning and while field dressing it, discovered a human ear in the bear's stomach, William said. An ear? Where's the rest of the body? McKean asked. That's unknown. It looks like there were some particles of clothing, clothing in the stomach contents too, but there weren't any other identifying body parts the hunters could see. They did say it was a bloody mess. That's rare for a black bear to attack a human, but I guess it could happen. Hard to tell, but you think Jack could backtrack the bear to wherever might be left of the body? Probably. I definitely it'd definitely be worth a try. I'm in Chehalis and on my way home from Olympia. Even with light traffic over the pass, I'm still two hours from Yakima. I have to grab Jack, so it'll be closer to three, and we'll be losing daylight pretty fast by then. Just get here as quick as you can, the deputy said, and he would clicked off. McCain grabbed his food, jumped in his rig, and down I-5 to the cutoff to Yakima via Highway 12. As he drove, he thought more about the call from Williams. Hearing of someone finding body parts in a bear stomach was a first for him. He wondered how it had happened. McCain had subconsciously bumped his speed up as he pondered the bear ear in the bear. When he looked down, he was doing 20 over the speed limit, and that stretched the highway. He was driving his state-issued police truck, which included a siren and lights in the grill, but he had decided they weren't necessary. The WDFW insignia on the doors of his tan truck would tell state patrol and local deputies, he was a brother law, law enforcement officer, that as he thought about more of the details he'd received from Williams, he went ahead and turned on the lights and pushed the F-150 a bit harder. As he approached each little settlement along the way, he'd slow some and then roll along about 80 miles per hour until he hit the next small town. Once he hit Randall, he intentionally slowed and really watched the edges of the highway. From here to Packwood and beyond, a large and growing herd of elk had taken up residence and they loved feeding on the grass along the highway. The last thing he needed right now was to smack a 600 pound elk. First, he would never live it down in the circles of his fellow WDFW officers, but more importantly, 
he didn't need to be delayed by a collision with a critter that's nearly the size of a horse. He made good time getting over White Pass and soon was pulling into his driveway. McCain lived outside of Yakima in an area known as Lower Natchez. When he parked the truck, he looked over at the neighbor's house and out the door came a blur of yellow and gold. His dog, Jack, stayed with Jesse Myers and her son, Austin, when McCain had to overnight out of town. He was thankful for this option rather than having to kennel his dog someplace. 12-year-old Austin loved Jack and treated him probably better than McCain did. The boy played fetch with him and Jesse was a sucker for Jack's big brown Labrador retriever eyes. All Jack had to do was gaze at her with a longing look and she'd give him a bite of a cookie or some other treat that he'd gobble up. Hey boy, McCain said as the dog came over, got the obligatory belly rub, ear scratch, and a few hugs around the neck. Jack was a big lab, ticking, tipping the scales at just over 100 pounds, and it wasn't a soft 100. He was as solid as a rock, strong as an ox, and could run down a wounded rooster pheasant and nothing flat. He'd come into McCain's life as an eight-week-old ball of fur and with, with too big of feet and soft, floppy ears. As they always do, the pup grew fast, and Jack was soon training to be not only McCain's hunting dog, but his partner in wildlife protection. What have you guys been up to? McCain asked the dog. We've been playing fetch, said Austin, who had followed the dog out the door. And Jack's been napping, too. You know, the life of a dog. With a mop of brown hair on top of his head, the sides cut short, and an active boy on the verge of being a teenager, Austin was your typical country kid. If he wasn't shooting baskets at the hoop and backboard in his driveway, he was throwing a baseball or football with one of his buddies. With all the video games, computers, and phones that kids were into now, McCain liked seeing Austin outside getting some exercise and playing with his buddies. Occasionally, McCain would play catch with Austin, and he would take him fishing over to the river near their house. Austin's father had divorced his mother three years before and wasn't around much. So McCain tried to give the boy some guy time as often as his schedule allowed. Of course, it helped that there were there was pretty good attachment that had been developed between Austin and Jack. I do know how dogs are, McCain said as he handed Austin a $50 bill. Thanks so much for looking after Jack. And please tell your mom thanks too. I'd like to hang and chat, chat but Jack and I are needed up near Chinook Pass right away. Really? Austin asked. What's going on? The neighbor boy was always interested in what McCain was doing with his job. Don't know all the details yet, but as soon as I know, I'll fill you in. Thanks again, Austin. He patted his right hand on his thigh, and Jack fell into heel right next to McCain as he headed to the house. Ten minutes later, with the big yellow dog sitting next to him in the passenger seat of the Ford pickup, McCain backed out of the drive, and they were headed west. In the quick turnaround in the house, McCain had changed out of his standard uniform khakis, and the tan button-up shirt with his name stitch on one side with, w, with a WFW badge on the other and jumped into what he called his field uniform. He still wore his tan shirt with badge, but he put on his Wranglers and his favorite pair of Kenetrick hunting boots. His daily uniform also included a utility belt, which he always wore. The belt held his holstered block semi-automatic pistol in 45 caliber, an ASP collapsible baton, pepper spray, a taser, a flashlight, and handcuffs. As he headed out the door, he also grabbed his backpack, ready to go in a moment's notice. The backpacks included just about everything a person might need to survive a night or two in the mountains. The pack held rain gear, an extra couple layers of polar fleas, a waterproof stocking cap, gloves, some freeze-dried food, 
three bottles of water, a Packer stove, and a few energy bars, and some special dog bars for Jack. For safety and communication, he carried a GPS unit for making, for marking and tracking his movement, a handheld radio, and his cell phone. In the story of Ben and his truck, McCain always kept a sleeping bag rated to minus 20 degrees, a packable one-man waterproof tent, a down vest, and a heavy coat. He thought if he thought he was going to need that stuff tonight, there was room in his pack for it too. What do you think, boy? McCain asked Jack as they ran west on Highway 410. The dog turned and looked at him, barked once, and then went back to watching the road. So that kind of gets you an idea of where the book is going. I love it. And that was the chapter that, that hooked me on Luke and Jack, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, and I know that high that uh, Olympia Drive, like the back of my hand, and you described it so well. So, <laughs> yeah. Any of you people outside of Washington that think you want to move here, think twice because traffic is ridiculous, <laughs> at least yeah. on the side of the mountains. <laughs> it's like any other big city. It's just got lots of people, lots of cars. Yeah, it sure does. Well, thanks for sharing that section. Um, I hope listeners, you totally fell in love with Luke and, and Jack like I did, because I did on the first chapter. I'm like, I like this guy. Let's see how it goes. And and he just develops to be a really good character. Um, so Rob, we, as we close out the podcast for this time around, because um, I think we'll probably end up having you back after a couple more books, because this has been so much fun. I'd like to catch up with you um, later. Um, give us a little bit of advice if you were talking, you know, you're talking to me, uh, uh, author who hasn't published officially yet. <laughs> um, what would you say to somebody like me? Um, well, as you kind of alluded to just now, I, I think you want to make your characters believable and likable. And, um, that's what I tried to do with my characters. And I, I seem to have succeeded, at least from the input I'm getting from the people that are reading the book. Um, that would be that would be one tip. Um, I had no clue what I was doing. I know you've talked to many authors that self-published. I would go with a, uh, if, if you can, if you can get a, a publisher interested, I would definitely go with a publisher. Yes, you may not earn quite as much money, but, the, but they earn the money they they received. Um, my publisher's got lots of contacts. He knew exactly what to do with the distributor and uh, how to get everything into Amazon and going. And he had tips for getting things rolling and getting uh, reviews in. And it just, I think it really uh, helped kind of speed things up in the success of, of, of my books. And uh, it's just very appreciative because I was totally, totally, totally uh, ignorant on all of that when I when I first started writing. And that's why I started this podcast. I don't know if you listened far back enough to hear the story. But two years ago, when I started the podcast, I decided I was going to start researching um, on how to do all this besides writing, but also publishing. And I started to ask authors, I only knew two authors in my area that I knew face to face. And I asked them and they gave me such great advice. And then I started to ask more authors that they suggested. And I'm like, this could be a really good podcast. There can't, I can't be the only one out there that has these questions. <laughs> and sure enough, there we are. <laughs> well, I wish I would have found your podcast before I started writing or as I was writing. I'm sure it would have helped me. But uh, well, the craft is always something we can work on, right? <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. Yeah. Like I said, I've been writing for a long time, but 
boy, I sure learned a lot in this process. That's for sure. Well, Rob, I absolutely have enjoyed our visit together. Thank you for sharing um, your books with us. Thank you for including me on uh, the pre-release readings. And I hope I get to be a part of the next ones because um, I have fallen in love with Luke. Um, I'll be honest. <laughs> I am married. Thank goodness. But Luke would be on the top of my list if he was a real live guy. <laughs> um, and so um, I will be in touch with you. We'll have you back on the show when there's a couple more books out. I would appreciate that very much. And I thank you so much for uh, having me today. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theauthorslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Author's Librarian, signing off.